Coming up on the best of women's Australian rules football on RSN Carnival, we chat with Oxford University's Rachel Patterson, the Vietnam Swans' Chia Sabatucci, the Montreal Angels' Caroline Leduc, and the Nottingham Scorpions' Alex Salter. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the second episode in our best of series of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. This program airs Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au and is available from Thursdays as a podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. Our first interview for this week comes back from March when we chatted to Rachel Patterson of Oxford University as she was preparing for the first ever women's Aussie rules match between Oxford University and Cambridge. I'm really well, thanks. Great to have you on the line. Now, before we go into your footy career, how on earth did you end up at Oxford? Oh, well, about five years ago, uh, I decided I wanted to do my PhD overseas and applied for a bunch of scholarships and universities and ended up getting a scholarship to come to Oxford. So I've been doing my PhD here for five years and just finished last year. Fantastic. And we know that you're a WA Rhodes Scholar, and I think Brunette Leckage told me that... um, yourself and uh, the Oxford team that you'll have running out could be the um, highest IQ football side ever to take the park. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a good bunch of girls. Well, before we get into all the nitty and gritty of that, let's take a step back for the moment and let's look at your personal football career. You started playing in WA. Uh, What year was that and and who did you lace, lace up the boots for? Uh, so I actually uh, started playing for the Claremont Piranhas back in 2007. Uh, yeah, and that was when they were playing in the, the red and white of Inaloo. Uh, but now they're the blue and gold, and they're actually officially affiliated with uh, the Claremont men's team in the Waffle. Yes, known as the Claremont Tigers, as uh, we did an article on that uh, just last year. That stage with WA football, was it, um, I think there was only about six or seven women's teams back then in about 2008, 2009? Yeah, yeah, and a couple of divisions, but I I believe they've uh, got more and more options for the younger players coming through now as well. Absolutely, and of course yourself, uh, you managed to play um, state football for WA at some of the national carnivals. Can you describe that feeling of uh, pulling on a WA jumper? Yeah, that was great. That was an amazing experience. My first Nationals was over in Canberra in 2007 and just playing in that team with such talented players. Um, that was when the likes of Chelsea Randall was just just old enough to uh, get in the team. And yeah, such an inspiring group of players and coaches and having the extra support uh, to try to be the best we could be on the day was fantastic as we said years later you'd find yourself in the uk at uh, oxford of course uh, we've got this big game coming up against cambridge and i think people are shocked to hear the famous schools that of oxford and cambridge with this big rivalry playing a game of women's aussie rules football can you go back to when you first helped begin aussie rules get off the ground at oxford what was that process like 
Well, as soon as I decided that I wanted to go to the UK, I was looking at whether or not they had teams. And Oxford's actually, I think, the oldest club outside of Australia that still exists, but only for the men. They hadn't had a women's team. So the first thing I did was email the guys and say, hey, you know, I want to play footy. Can I come down and try to start a women's team? And they were super supportive and I trained with the guys and it took quite a while to get the critical mass to get a women's team going. But in about 2015, we had our first game. Uh, and I think that was because the London's women league, women's leagues had just started. So we had teams to play against. It's really hard to get girls to come down and train and learn the game if you can't really promise any games. Indeed, and as you said, I mean, th- this is all pre the London League starting up. So how did you try to go about recruiting? Um, I mean, we're lucky, I guess, we're the days of online. We are talking last week to the founders of the state leagues back in the 80s and 90s who would just have to hope for a newspaper article then stand by a landline phone waiting for someone to call. So I guess for you it was just simple as something like starting a Facebook page. What, what was that and and what were the inquiries like coming back? Yeah, starting a Facebook page, but also a lot of word of mouth and friends of friends and getting the guys who were involved in the club to bring along friends or housemates or just talk to women playing different sports and tell them about footy and get them to come for a kick. Because if you get them to come for a kick, it's much easier to convince them how much fun it is. Absolutely. And I guess the one thing that we're interested to see is what the makeup is of the side, particularly to start with at Oxford. Are you finding it's predominantly Australians, former students, obviously Aussie students that have come over there to study in the UK? Or have you had much success of being able to try and convince the locals and others from around the world that are studying at Oxford to pull on a footy jumper? Yeah, there's a huge variety. There are a lot of Aussies and in the women's team at least. A lot of Aussie women who've never played before but they kind of feel a bit homesick and want to seek out the Australian community. But we've also got a lot of people from the UK and then we've got people from all across the world. We've got Americans, Canadians, French, Norwegian, Italian, all sorts. And what are those numbers like at the moment? How many do you have to train with and to choose from for your side to take on Cambridge? Well, we've actually got almost too many players. Um, there's going to be a big bench on the weekend. We've got about 23 or 24, and I think Cambridge only have about 17 signed up, so hopefully they can get a few more numbers so we don't have to have too many on the bench. And as you said, you've had this side going for a couple of years now, this project at Oxford. Have you had the opportunity, um, because obviously you're not a team entered in the London competition, to take on other sides, whether it be from up around the Birmingham area. We obviously know of Nottingham, for example. Have you had much of an opportunity to get out in the field wearing the Oxford colours? Yeah, we've played Birmingham quite a lot because they're fairly close. And there's also some other university teams and they have the Fitzpatrick Cup every year. Um, That's been in Cork. And so we played in that last year and there's quite a lot of Irish teams uh, that play in that. So... Yeah, and the London teams, because they're just gearing up for their season, they want a couple of pre-season matches. So we usually get a couple of games against the London teams as our season winds down and theirs is just getting started. And I'm interested to note that this game you got coming up on March 10th against um, Cambridge is that you'll actually be the main game with the men being the curtain raiser. 
Yeah, yeah, as it should be, you know. <laughs> the the guys, um, it's going to be their 98th varsity match against Cambridge, but being the first women's match, we really want to um, showcase the women's game. And so the, the men are going to have a, their little curtain raiser match, uh, and then the women's going to be the main event. So that's really exciting. As well as you mentioned earlier with Cambridge, only having about 16 or 17 at the moment, what's their program been like? When did that finally get off the ground and how have they been developing to try and get a side up? So the Cambridge women's team, they started, they had a few players last year, but they didn't have enough uh, to put a full side together to play against us. So instead, um, we formed a combined Oxford-Cambridge side and we played against one of the London teams. So I think that was the first game that the Cambridge women had played in. Uh, And then in the 12 months since then, they've got a team together and they've played uh, quite a few games. Yeah, so it's really exciting. Once they had that first game under their belt, they got up and running pretty quickly. That's good news to see that hopefully um, that this will be the first of many games for them. What is the plan going forward from this match? Is there going to be a regular schedule put forward for Oxford to play? Well, so our, um, our season runs during the university year over here, which is October, and we finish around about now with the, the varsity match. So um, I think some of the girls are really keen to get more games and they might go down and play for some of the London teams over the summer because they don't want to have such a long off-season. So, yeah, we might um, put the boots on down in London. Well, I was about to ask that question. Uh, Have you spotted what club you'd like to be running around with in the 2018 (laughs) AFL London Women's League? Oh... I wouldn't want to say one or the other. Whoever needs the numbers on the day. So uh, there's the call out. Rachel Patterson, a former WA State footballer, very talented footballer. Any London club, make sure you go through Oxford and get in contact with her. It's fantastic to see, isn't it, that university football can get up in the UK because I guess we can compare it to, say, the US college system because there's so much other sport out there and sport leading to professional sport, which is more of a way of life in the United States. We don't see the women from 18 to about 21, 22, 23 playing our game of Aussie rules. Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, culture over here. I think people get um, really committed to one sport, for instance, like rugby is huge over here, uh, soccer. And so convincing people to come over from their preferred code is a bit of a challenge. Not only has there been an explosion of women's Aussie rules football throughout Europe and North America, but things are going gangbusters as well in Asia. In fact, in October, we had the AFL Asia Championship between Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia and Hong Kong. And speaking of Vietnam, we had on the line back in February, March this year, Chia Sapatucci, who talked about how the Vietnam Swans had came together. Very well, thank you, Peter. Thanks very much for having me. Great to have you on the line, but we do have to ask the question, what's someone originally from Melbourne, Australia, doing in Ho Chi Minh City? Uh, I've followed my partner's job up here, actually. So we've come up here as a family to Ho Chi Minh City, and I'm studying my Master's. So I'm doing my uh, EMBA, my Executive um, Master's of Business Administration at RMIT here in Saigon. Well, let's have a look here. Everyone thinks it's, you know, amazing that we have an AFL women's competition. It's about to blow people's minds that we have a women's footy side 
happening in Vietnam. How did this come to be? Uh, so I'm actually uh, well, originally from Melbourne and love the game AFL. And as we know, the development of um, AFL women's in Australia is huge and it's really growing. Um, and I've just actually, I spent a bit of time in Indonesia and did some development with the AFL Indonesia, but all focused on mainly young, young kids, young boys, things like that. So moving to Ho Chi Minh and coming in, I joined a few sports things just last year, actually. I noticed that um, there was a lot of interest with sports and I found that there was a lot of girls playing soccer. So I kind of grabbed that niche and I thought, oh, perfect for women's AFL. So I've established a team here and um, yeah, we've got probably a good 10 or 15 Vietnamese girls involved. Uh, so it's been really good, the interest and, and, and the outlook on what we think can happen with the team. And you talk about that. Obviously, they're used to playing soccer there in Vietnam. Uh, what do the girls think when they see this game? Obviously, A, not just using your hands, but the tackle element to the sport as well. Well, look, yeah, the tackle element, it's um, it's frightening, I guess, for the Vietnamese girls at the start. You know, you've got some of these women that come out and they've had kids and, and like, you know, not just young Vietnamese girls, but, but a couple of our ladies have had families and things like that. And that is that is the frightening thing for them, you know. There's oh, and especially you see a bunch of expats, mixed nationality, you know, a couple of American girls and Australian girls, and we're all running around having a kick and tackling each other, and it is frightening. But once they immerse themselves in the football, and that's my what I suggest to them is just forget about the tackling, forget about knowing the skills as such to start, and just get on get on the field, you know, a paddock with a football, and just give it a go. And when they give it a go, you see them start to like it, you know, they get that enthusiasm and they, they think, oh, this is a good game and then they, you know, they keep coming back and that's what I've found over the last, say, two months. Let's rewind back a little bit because a number of years ago the Vietnam Swans originally began as a men's team and I believe originally they did have ladies attached to it but actually playing Gaelic football rather than Aussie rules. Yes, yeah, so uh, going back 2014 when I look at the history, uh, 2014 Sorry, a couple of years before that. So, yeah, the Gaelic was originated, started from a couple of women down here and, and one one girl, Maz. Uh, and so they started a, a kick around with Gaelic, which was, I guess, with the Irish girls as well. So the Irish club was then established and it was mainly girls first and then men came along in the Gaelic. So that was had a lot of support from the Vietnam Swans and it was a partner of one of the guys from the Vietnam Swans. Um, and then from that came, they'd play a couple of like the one or two exhibition matches that they played versus Cambodia with the AFL. So we do have, we have what we have coming up this Saturday is a game where we mix AFL and Gaelic and have a, girl, a women's game and a men's game. Um, and so that's happening this Saturday. So yeah, it did originate from having a kick around for Gaelic originally. Um, but I don't think in, AFL wasn't too much of an interest, especially with a few of the Irish and things like that. But um, I must say on Saturday, the team had, you know, a bunch of mixed nationalities when you look at our team. It's Native Americans, Australians, Vietnamese. Our, our actual captain was um, Indonesian, so working here for Nike, um, and a bunch of other girls. We had a couple of South Africans, a Swedish girl that plays um, AFL for Sweden, and a few other girls. So it was a great, great, great bunch of girls, actually, have a kick on Saturday. If we have a look at that um, from when you started back a, a couple of years ago with the Vietnam Swans, what were the realistic expectations early on about getting numbers? Were you confident you were able to get, let alone 18, to be on the park? Um, well, that was Maz that did that back back then. And they used to have probably 10 girls, so not 18. And, 
and there was there's one um, Vietnamese Vietnamese girl that would always play. Her name's Rosie, um, and that was it. So it, it was never Vietnamese involved. So it was all expatriates, um, and it's only been now developing up this women's team that I've trying to focus on um, different avenues, trying to get Vietnamese girls involved. And you just have to kind of immerse yourself in, and involve yourself in different football clubs and different communities and network and try and, you know, reach, I guess, certain kind of person that will play AFL. And so I'm just reaching out to everybody and every kind of, you know, just it's, it's diverse cultures around here and it's just uh, trying to get people involved. And then, you know, once they're involved, I guess you can cement that kind of, I guess that, well, how I feel about playing AFL. So, yeah. You talk about getting the locals involved. We know, for example, if you look at the USAFL, when they have their nationals, uh, and it's more probably more on the men's side more than anything, uh, they have, for example, a hard and fast rule where 50% of the players on the ground at any one time have to be locals, have to be Americans. Uh, what's the yeah. plan there with women's footy uh, in Asia? Is there looking at something where you have to have or at least encouraged to have so many locals on the field at one time to not only so, so we're not essentially having a game that's just expats playing absolutely absolutely so uh that's my focus so for the last um like two two months obviously i've, I've established this team and then established that it's getting girls involved and initially it is starting with a lot of expats um, and that's just how it's going to be because obviously we know the game we play the game whether it's gaelic rugby afl or what we play, um, and we're more inclined to get out and have a kick on the paddock. So by developing that and then b- building on getting the Vietnamese out, so week by week, you know, even if it's one girl or two girls getting these girls out and giving them that enthusiasm and that, that you know, those skill sets and the, the image of the game and just the culture behind it and everything else that comes with it, we're hoping that eventually what, what will happen is the team will be majority Vietnamese and minority expats. So expats come and go, you know, in Asia. And so that's what we want. We want a, a team full that, that are all Vietnamese citizens. And and that will be our goal to come down to the IC, the International Cup in 2020, maybe work with Cambodia and Laos and get a team that would be, say, an Indo, Indochina Cup, even work with Indonesia maybe. Um, and that's where we would use all our networks across Asia and, and work together and do that and find funding and things like that. I mean, you've got your short and long-term goals, but, yeah, it, that, that's where our long-term goal would be. You must be encouraged by the first two games in the AFL Asia women's calendar so far. Malaysia played Cambodia in the first game. You played Cambodia in the second game. Just this Saturday gone about the close results. As much as you would have liked the win on Saturday, just in your debut game to fall one point shy of Cambodia must be encouraging signs that we're not having beltings, that we've got a competition that's fairly even. Absolutely. The first game with, with Malaysia and Cambodia, I um, heard about the game. You know, Malaysia were up four points. This Cambodian team there, like they're, uh, so it's two expats and uh, 13 Cambodian girls. So there were 15 girls that came across to Vietnam. These girls, they're short. Um, there's not much There's not much weight on them. But they, like, and a lot of my team said they tackle. Like you should see some of the tackles that they put on them. And so... The ball, it's not that the ball wasn't moving. The ball was going to both ends of the ground, you know, and there was getting kicks out. There were people marking. There was actually some good skill set there, but it was just the competition was really level. And so that's what you want in football, right? You don't want someone giving someone a belting or, you know, beating them by 20 or 30 points or 80 points. You want that competition. And so that competition level is here. So 
I mean, let's see in the next hit out. We've got the next hit out, uh, Vietnam versus Malaysia on the 19th of May in Penang. And so I guess we'll see then that competition as well for the next game coming up. But we're hoping to keep it quite even and we hope that it stays like that. From your first meeting, what's the next thing you want to focus on with your team when it comes to skill development to help, obviously, uh, improve their performance on the park and hopefully get a win next time round? So with me growing up around football and things like that and the ha- getting the handball, the handball comes to me naturally. What I've noticed with a lot of my girls is, and especially my Vietnamese girls is, someone comes in, they grab you, and my girls look around and throw it. And it just comes naturally just to throw it out. And so I've got to develop, what I've got to develop is something that where, you know, they're coming in to get tackled or they've got the ball and they find an option and they handball it rather than throw it. And that's a big thing up in Asia. And so... I guess for me it's starting there because, I mean, everybody can kick a ball, whether, you know, let's not focus on how far it goes or who it goes to, but kicking is kind of something that people can do. But handballing doesn't come natural, so I find that in the the game what happened a lot was we threw it a lot, so we gave away a lot of free kicks. So that's what I'll focus on from now is um, handballing and also just communication between the girls and and getting the girls to, to learn, you know, obviously the girls have to get to know each other to be able to play like a team. So that's what we'll be focusing on for the next probably month and a half and the next game coming up. And what's the squad depth looking like at the moment? How many names do you have on the books and, and how often are you able to train together? So, Peter, at the moment we've got, looking at my team, memberships paid up. So what, we did, what we've got is a scheme where, you know, obviously when you look at the local Vietnamese culture, we, we make a scheme with the memberships where the expats get pay a certain amount and the, um, the locals have a subsidised fee from the club at a sponsorship. And so we've got um, paid-up members. We've got six Vietnamese and um, probably about 16 expatriates, so 22 on the books at the moment. But but in looking at that, we have probably around 35 girls that have come out to training and things like that. So the numbers are increasing, um, but it's just getting girls, you know, that obviously out of their workplace and girls that want to commit. So committed girls, we've got 22. But actual girls that are coming out and giving it a go, we've got probably up over, you know, 35, 40 girls. That's fantastic. So the numbers look good. It's healthy. That, yeah. That's fantastic to hear. And just taking a rough guess, what would you say is probably about the average age of the side? Average age, okay. So looking at that, our youngest um, our youngest Vietnamese girl was 17 and our youngest expatriate girl was 16. Um, and our oldest two ladies were 50 that played on, on the weekend. So we had a, a range of girls. Um, so probably average would be about maybe 32. I look at that. 32, probably. So, yeah. So, so, so not too young, not too old. You know, it's average age. So some experienced footballers, but good to find that you've got some young ones as well because as we've talked about uh, recently, particularly with those in the US, they find a struggle to get the college-age girls because of so much competition in that sporting field. So I guess an encouraging sign for football there in Vietnam that you're able to get those that are in their late teens. Yeah, that's what we'll be looking at. That's what we'll be looking at. Late teens and early, early 20s, you know, young Vietnamese girls, maybe that don't have families yet that can travel with the sport. Um, that can really get out there more than once a week um, so that we can develop up that skill set and develop them and get, give them that, you know, the inspiration of what football's like and how we play it. And, you know, it, it's a different culture. It's diverse. It is diverse culture when you look at diverse cultures and, and, you know, empowerment for girls and things like that. So we need to kind of hone in and focus on, you know, the younger girls that are up and coming if we want them 
um, majority of people to be Vietnamese in the team. Yeah. And being an Aussie, but it's a big. You know, we started. That's the main yeah, thing. Absolutely, and and being an Aussie game in a foreign land, how's it been like trying to get resources? For example, getting sponsorship to be able to pay for the football jumpers, to be able to pay for travel, to also being able to even find a facility to train, let alone play on. It's quite difficult up here, actually. I will say in Ho Chi Minh City, we a lot of the turf are astroturf, so there's one main turf that would be at the RMIT University that um, majority of the sports teams around here use when they have game days. Other than that, on a, we train on a weekly basis and we train on AstroTurf, um, which is not very nice when you tackle and things like that. And that's another thing that, you know, gets the girls kind of a bit frightened. Like, the, you know, if you hurt yourself, you scrape yourself on the AstroTurf. Um, so we do a lot of kind of like with training, we, we do a lot of um, when we have, you know, muck around games and things like that. It's more AFL, play the AFL um like sevens or nines or, you know, X or something. So we just do that kind of stuff, handball and games and things like that. Um, but looking at, say, you know, looking at the team and getting jerseys and balls and all that kind of thing, I have been down to Australia recently, so I brought a whole lot of Sherman balls up. So we buy them through AFL Asia at a discounted price. Um, so I brought a whole lot of balls up, so we've got balls. Um, looking at our uniforms, the club gets sponsorship, so we've got sponsorship through Wide Eyed Tours, um, AFG Group up here, and um, a few others through Vietnam Swans. So as the ladies team, we've come on board under the Swans, so we're the Swans ladies, um, the Swans men's, and so within the club, that sponsorship's allocated to us as well, and we're looking for new sponsorship all the time, and so we'll be doing that over a range of time. I'll be setting up a proposal and looking for sponsorship to develop the women's football here in, in Vietnam. Yeah. Now, just before we let you go, Chair, if people want more information about the Vietnam Swans, where can they find that? So we've got a few outlets. Um, we've got a website uh, for the Vietnam Swans. Um, the women's team has got a, a private uh, Facebook page and we'll be setting up Instagram and looking at setting up our own page. But at the moment, we're going under the Vietnam Swans. So, yeah, for Vietnam Swans, they've got the Vietnam Swans website. And they've also got the Vietnam Swans Facebook page um, that can easily be searched by Google. And then also there's um, myself and our president um, can be contacted and, and we're on the website there to be contacted um, if more information about the women's team or, or the men's team up here in Vietnam. Our next guest we first saw back in 2016 at the USAFL Nationals in Sarasota, Florida, when she represented the Montreal Angels. She would go on to represent Canada Northern Lights, particularly in the IC17 tournament in Melbourne. Then a few months later, she'd go to San Diego, California to again represent the Montreal Angels. In 2018, she made the big move to Western Australia, where she would obviously take up a uh, opportunity at one of the local universities but she would also pull on the East Fremantle Sharks jumper and play in the WAWFL reserve grade competition. We speak of Caroline Leduc. Hi, Pete. I'm doing fine. And you? Not too bad at all. The last time I spoke to you, if I'm correct, I think you were coming out for a bunch of months and you were staying to March. Am I correct? Are you staying a little longer? Yes. Um, I'll be going back home in May for my brother's wedding, but I'm coming back right after um, with the three-month visitor visa to play the whole footy season here. Absolutely fantastic to hear because when we first uh, spoke to you last year, the plan was to come over and I think you were going to end in March just before footy season began, but it seems that the footy bug is bitten and you want to stay for the season. 
Yeah, the food is really good here. And um, at first last year when we spoke, uh, I was supposed to um, to stay up to end of April to the end of my internship. And I was, uh, I'm happy to just be training with the team here and uh, learn um, and like and grow, and grow my my game. But um, it's just so good here that I really want to play the whole season. <laughs> So let's rewind back a couple of months. You actually got involved in the WAWFL uh, Footy Academy and their Jan Cooper Cup Series. How did that come about, you getting an invitation to be part of the academy? Uh, well, thanks to um, Cameron Napton, um, uh, WAFL manager at the Western Australia Footballer Commission, that I met through Tony Fairheads, who's a member of the USAFL International Program Exchange Committee. I've had the uh, amazing opportunity to train as an international guest in the Western Australia Talent Academy uh, in January, February, um, following the invitation of Clint, the talent manager of the female program. And you managed to train with that academy. If, if I'm correct, I think the original idea is that you were just going to train and run water for them and just get the experience, but you ended up being selected to play in the series. Yeah, I was actually just uh, invited for the – they had like a, a talent academy game against uh, against Fremantle Dockers for, as a preparation for their AFLW season. And I, I was invited to uh, come to train with the talent academy and to um, witness their preparation for that game. Uh, but then after that game, I've been invited to uh, come along to training and I've stick with them until the end of the John Cooper Cup. And Dean, you got to play in a few games with that as well. When you go back to obviously thinking about how you played in Canada, the numbers are smaller at training. You might have a dozen or so, and you don't get to play regular 18-a-side football. So for you, what's the thing that you found, I guess, most difficult trying to get used to training here in Oz, training with an Australian-based football team? Um, well, it's, it has been a really great experience, but I like I really had to bring up the level of my game. Uh, but it was like really good challenge and preparation for my first uh, waffle season. Um, but uh, yeah, like um, it's like faster and tougher footy here. And uh, like you said, we don't play much 18 sides back home, even though I did um, a couple of like half of my experience in food in Canada and uh, in the U.S. was 18 aside. So I, I still had a lot of them, but you're right that mostly it's like nine aside. And um, yeah, it's, it's like you need to adjust to that bigger field and to um, more people on the field and to play your role correctly. What's the element of the game that they would like to see you work on the most? Um, yeah, well, like one of the feedback I got from the coach at the academy after the end of the John Cooper Cup was that um, to um, be more confident in my kick and like do more a short kick and uh, to hit those targets in a 45 angle degrees and uh, just like yeah, working more on like the four the, the short kicks under pressure during the trainings. Um, so that was the main thing that come out. Um, but obviously game knowledge uh, will come with more uh, exposure to game. You ended up hooking up with the East Fremantle Sharks. Uh, how did that conversation come about for you to end up wearing the blue and white? Um, well, when I started playing footy in Montreal, there was a, a girl um, from Perth that ended up starting playing footy as well. And when she came back here, she ended up with the East Fremantle Sharks. So that was one of the reasons why 
when I landed in Perth, I was um, interested in playing for the instrumental sharks. Um, but it ended up being like a very also to be a very good club. And um, yeah, so I decided to commit to that club and I really have enjoyed it. The, the, the girls are very welcoming and the, the, the quality of the training are pretty good. Um, we, our head coach, uh, Nikki Harwood, has been like an, a midfielder assistant for AFLW Collingwood uh, in 2017. And um, the, her and our um, forward line coach, Steph Wadding, uh, are in the coaching staff of the West Coast Eagle High Performance Female Academy this year. And we also have the Western Australia Academy um, coach, Adam Dancy, that is assisting in some of the Sharks training. So we really have like really good coaching staff at Instrumental Sharks. So I was really happy to um, to learn from them and uh, to yeah to become a better players under their guidance. A great club, East Fremantle, probably one of their most famous recruits, Jessica Wuchner, coming out of that club uh, when she played her football in WA. Um, what about yourself when it comes to training? Can you give us an insight into the amount of training that you're doing with the Sharks during the week and some personal training that you might be doing on top of that to build your fitness? Yeah, well, I um, started training with the instrumental Shark early December and uh, we had like two trainings per week. And then I also um, contacted Doug Drinkwater, um, who's also on the USAFL advisory committee. He had gave me um, a um, high performance training program and a diet program as well. And then when I was, um, so I was trained twice per week with instrumental sharks and then the academy um, came into um, into, into play and I was trained also twice per week with them. So that was a lot of workload and I actually had to adjust to that. Um, And it took me like maybe two or three months of training before coming up to a proper way of recovering from training and how to prepare my body for it. because it was like workload that I was not necessarily used to have back home um, because it's high intensity training and it's also pretty warm here. So let's have a look at the weekend that's just gone by. You are with East Fremantle. They've got three sides. They're under 19, which is the Rogers Cup. They've got the um, reserves. But you actually made your debut in State League at the league level. What did that mean to you personally to make your debut in the number one team at East Fremantle? Yeah, it was pretty special to make my debut in the league team, um, especially with the support on game day of Grilla of the U.S. National. Um, he has pretty strong tie with the Sharks men's team, and he has followed my journey uh, since I've started with the Sharks in December. Um, So it was pretty special to uh, make my debut in front of him in the league team. Um, I'm taking this nomination as an encouragement of the effort I've put in my training so far in the past four months, um, but also as a motivation to continue to push myself even more during training. Um, And I'm conscious that training level and game nomination will be a bit different when most of the 13 uh, IFLW Sharks players will return. Um, I've already learned a lot from other top Sharks players, um, but I'm looking forward for uh, the AFLW players to come back so I could learn from them as well on and off the field. Um, But yes, it was good to have a taste of league level in a derby clash against South Fremantle. 
um, and no doubt we will get even more competitive when the AFLW players will be back in their respective team. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what we will achieve as a team uh, in the 2018 Waffle season. I think we are off to a good start with the last Sunday win in our opening round in both the league and reserve team. And um, yeah, looking forward to it. Now, normally when we've seen you run around uh, for the Montreal Angels, you've typically been a midfielder. Uh, what role have they got you playing at the Sharks? Um, they got me into the forward line. So I've played uh, half the game as a pocket forward and half the game as a half forward. So they've got you attacking on the football, which is uh, fantastic to see. How did you find that level of football um, that you played on the weekend? Um, yeah, well, like uh, it was at for the academy, so it's like faster and tougher footy. Um, but it's comparable, I would say, to what I've been experiencing with the uh, national team at the International Cup. But it's definitely different from what I'm used to in Montreal and the, at the USAFL National. And I guess that's an encouraging sign, is it, for those uh, footballers overseas that are thinking about coming out to Australia and putting in the hard yards they do to play at the IC tournaments, the next one in 2020. Like you said, it doesn't seem like the gap is that far, is it, from playing IC football to state league football? No, I don't think it's that far. Obviously, um, of course, all of those players have been playing for years, so they have a game knowledge and uh, experience that is bigger than what we have. Um, but, yeah, the gap is not that that big. So with work, a lot of works and training, I guess um, I'm thinking it's possible to reach to that level. Absolutely. Well, Caroline, thank you very much for joining us here. And we look forward to keeping an eye on your journey in Western Australia throughout the remainder of the 2018 WAWFL season. And hopefully we'll see you again in the USA in October for the uh, Nationals in Racine, Wisconsin. Well, thank you, Peter. And yeah, of course, it will be very good to see you again at the USAFL Nationals. And thanks for um, taking the time to chat with me today. You're listening to the best of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Alex Salter, Nottingham Scorpions footballer, representative of the England Vixens in the AFL Euro Cup, and in IC17 set the footy scene alight with the GB Swans, particularly playing as an attacking half-forward flanker. She decided to come back to Melbourne in 2018 to try her hand in the VFLW competition and, of course, the VAFA through the Melbourne University Muggers. Now, as much as she uh, signed up for the club and she uh, trained with the squad, unfortunately, injury would actually keep her from playing a game. So she was a bit unlucky. But this was her interview with us uh, going back to around about March uh, this year, uh, which she explained about her decision to make the move across to Melbourne to try her hand in the local footy market. I'm doing good, thanks. Very well at the moment. The last time we spoke to you, you were getting ready to play for the England Vixens in the Euro Cup. Now you find yourself down in Melbourne. What on earth made you go to make that big decision to pull up stumps in the UK and come down to Oz? Well, while I was out here um, last year for the IC, I just had the most incredible time. And everyone said to me, oh, you really, you know, come and do a season out here. Um, and as soon as I got back, I did, I went and spoke to my manager and asked if I could take a sabbatical. Um, and he said that he was a hundred percent behind me and that he would do whatever he could 
for the business to support me in that decision. Um, so it took a couple of months and some more meetings at work. But then in November, uh, I got it signed off. Um, and then I could start planning my, my journey and my trip. So just to give everyone a, a bit of a background, of course, you're an amateur footballer. You're not a professional. You're not being paid. So what job did you have to, in a way, leave behind or leave on hold back home in England? Um, so I work for Mars, the chocolate company, um, and I just work in their distribution team. Um, sort of nine to five office job. Um, but luckily, Mars are a brilliant company to work for and have the sabbatical option. So they granted me sabbatical for seven months. Um, and when I get back, there will be a job, might not be the one I left, but there will be a job available for me within the wider team that I was in. Excellent. So that does give you a bit of security, which is fantastic to hear for when you do return. That's, of course, if you do return and uh, you don't find yourself <laughs> drafted. Yeah, everyone says that. And they're like, are you definitely coming back? Um, but yeah, at the moment, I, I will be coming back. Well, I am enjoying myself massively. How how daunting have you found it to not only obviously move to the other side of the planet, but obviously having to set yourself up here, finding accommodation, hopefully finding some type of work. So obviously you've got money going into the bank account and then obviously having to worry about your football. Um, well, it was quite a big task and um, having to almost start life again over here. Um, but just from coming over to the IC and for playing down in London with a lot of Aussies, I actually realised I knew quite a lot of people over here um, and they've been great with, you know, helping me put out feelers for houses and, and things like that. Um, so that was, finding a house was really easy. But the hardest thing so far has been finding a job um, because I only want part-time because I want to focus on footy and finding something that has been a bit more Absolutely understandable. Um, you found yourself hooked up with the Melbourne University Muggers. Was that always the choice? Was it just simply because, obviously, Lauren Spark was an assistant coach with the GB Swans? Were you always headed for the Muggers, or were there some options that you were weighing up? Um, generally, it was always going to be the Muggers because of Sparky, um, although I did go and train with the UHS women's team who – one of my other GB teammates, um, Lauren Short, plays for. Um, and I really did enjoy that training, but Muggers is just just completely different and a better fit for me. How have you found the step up to training with the Muggers? Now, obviously, they've got a wide breadth of talent, that being the lower division, VAFA, all the way through to state league football. How have you found trying to adjust, essentially, in the, at Nottingham, I guess, training with a dozen or so girls, to now training in a unit where you've got uh, almost like 100 women on their list? Oh, it was a complete shock to turn up to my first training session where we did a practice match. Um, you know, two full 18-a-side teams with 12-plus on the bench. It was crazy, you know, to be able to do that at training. Um, but it's been really good. The standard so far has been um, quite varied. Obviously, you've got the uh, VFL um, girls who are have been playing for years, really high standard. And then you've got more of the FAFA community girls who some of them are only starting this year or last year because they're riding on the wave of the AFLW. So there's a, it's a massive um, difference. But one thing I have noticed is that they are taught gameplay 
right from the outset. So even if their skills aren't there, they know what to do in games and therefore they're playing it the right way rather than just kicking and hoping, which we do quite a lot at the beginning when we're learning over in England. That's fair enough. For yourself personally, what have you found the biggest challenge adjusting to when you run out there for your first training sessions? Um, the biggest thing, I think, is just getting to know everyone. At Olympians, you know, there's eight to 12 little girls there, so straight up you're there, you're in a feel part of it. Whereas when you're going to training and there's 80 girls, you have no idea who to talk to. You know, I'm talking to new people every week and therefore it's kind of hard to get that um, team unit um, feel. Uh, so I think that's been the hardest part. Um, but otherwise, in terms of footy, because I just love playing and getting involved, that's been relatively easy to, you know, sink right into. Can you explain your training program throughout the week? Um, how many times a week are you training with the muggers? And, and what are you doing yourself personally? Because you have put some videos online of you doing your own solo training sessions. Um, yeah, so with the muggers, we train on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Um, and then we have matches on a Saturday. And they've just started. Um, but personally, myself, on top of that, I always love to get to the gym and do a leg session and an arm session. Um, and then while I'm here, I also really want to focus on doing some more um, speed and sprint sessions, so just going down to the park um, and also working on things like picking the ball up and kicking on the run, just doing that by myself for hours to try and improve. So, yeah, generally I'm doing something every day, which my body isn't quite happy about at the moment. <laughs> Well, talking about the body, I believe you've had a, a bit of a shoulder uh, and niggle at the moment. Can you tell us what the situation with that is? Um, so it's an injury that I first did at the IC um, in our last match against the USA. Um, I kind of hyperextended my shoulder a bit. And I've been doing lots of rehab, but I've re-aggravated it a few times um, since IC. Um, and then training session a couple of weeks ago, I went to spoil the ball and the impact of the ball just extended my shoulder again out of a bit. I can. I've taken a slight step back in training. I haven't gone into contests and I've been very wary when, you know, going to spoil the ball or doing any marking. So unfortunately, the muggers had their first game on Saturday and I made myself unavailable for that because I didn't want to play a game to injure my shoulder massively and then not be able to play the rest of the time I'm here. So what time frame are you probably looking at that you'll be right to go again? It's hard to say. I'd love to be able this weekend, but I may take it off and then we've got two bye weekends, which would give me another month um, to really strengthen the shoulder and make sure that it's okay for the physicality AFL. Now, uh, during this uh, time off that you had during round one, you actually did go down to Ramsden Street to watch Melbourne Uni take on uh, Fitzroy in reserves and VAFA Premier. What did you think of the standard compared to, obviously, what you've seen and experienced in the UK? 
Uh, yeah, well, it was it was kind of a bit hard to tell the standard because our girls won 134 um, to zero. So it was hard to get a grasp of what the general standard is. But as I was saying, the gameplay and the game awareness and doing, you know, sticking to positions, doing the right thing. So looking for a hand pass off instead of just booting it away to no one. Or And there were quite a few um, hand pass linkages, which we don't tend to do in in GB and in England. Um, so standard, um, I was really impressed with that. So hopefully, you know, I'll be able to, to learn some ways to play and attack and can take that back to, to the UK with me. Now, the one thing uh, we do need to highlight, you've been doing the right thing about going to the gym and keeping fit. How much of a challenge has that been considering the tempting food of Melbourne that we've noticed quite a bit through your YouTube videos. <laughs> well, to begin with, I was all right because uh, I'm very strict and, you know, I had my treats and then I'd do my meal prep as, as normal. But my cousin has just been over and now my friend is over. So the temptation to go out has been massive. Um, and this last weekend, I have indulged a lot. Um, but... With my friend, we've got action-packed stuff planned, so hopefully I'll, I'll be able to shift the extra little bit of weight I've just put on. <laughs> and one last one before you go. We know that you've obviously made the journey out here after hearing how well you were enjoying it so far the first month in and all the videos, etc. Have you been able to almost tempt in any of your other fellow GB Swans to consider making the move over? Um, not yet, but I know it's on a few of their radars anyway. Um, and I'm sure if any of them want to come over, um, they'll give me a call and we can discuss it further. And they do have a few over here already, um, like Alex Peel's over here. Um, she's not based in Melbourne, which is a shame, so I'm not seeing her. Um, but yeah, she's brilliantly over here and her first match is this weekend. Um, so hopefully she goes well there. Um, but, and there's also a couple of the Bulldogs out here. So I've met up with Luke Booth and Jason Hill, um, which has been good. So I think, you know, in the near future, there might be a few more more coming over. And hopefully while I'm here, I'll be able to recruit some GB-based girls as well. And finally, one last one before we let you go. Uh, we already know that the Muggers have an American. They've had Katie Clatt. Now that they've been invaded by yourself and being invaded by the British, what's the thought with the muggers about all these different nationalities from around the world coming in and uh, being part of their club? Oh, they love it. Um, They are just so shocked when I tell them that um, I've come over to play FL. They're like, oh, that's so awesome. And the fact that we even have it in England and abroad, they're shocked at. Um, they didn't realise that it had, you know, crossed the ocean to to other countries. So they're just so infused by it, and yeah, and love hearing about how it's developing outside of Australia. Well, Alex, thank you very much again for joining us here, and we wish you all the very best throughout your journey in Melbourne as uh, you lace up the boots to play with the Melbourne University Muggers. Yes, thanks, Pete. And we hope to see Alex back in Melbourne in the near future, whether, again, it's trying her hand to break through at a VFLW club 
or if it's representing the GB Swans at IC 2020. That concludes the best of Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival for this week. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. And until next week, it's bye for now.